0: Amazon has another event on the horizon, and we've got a bull versus bear debate over Airbnb. Motley Fool money starts now. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me today, Motley Fool senior analyst Jason Moser.
1: Happy Monday! Happy Monday, indeed. You know, I saw some green in the market at some point. I mean, it, it could be worse, I guess. So yeah, it feels feels like a happier Monday than than uh, than many than many we've been witnessing. But let's not jinx anything. Let's No, let's not. Let's, uh, let's get to Amazon
0: because this morning Amazon announced it is holding a second Prime Day sale <laughs> on October 11th and 12th. And I uh, got to give a hat tip to Annie Palmer, who covers tech for CNBC, because she had reported back in late June that Amazon had quietly contacted third-party sellers about A fall event of some sort. So, seeing that story this morning, Jason removed the suspicion I had when I when I saw this announcement because I thought, "Wait, was this just thrown together? You're (laughs) you're gonna do this in 15 days?" Like, I I did wonder if that was in fact the case. So, okay, this this has been planned for a while. What was your reaction?
1: Prime Day to e-commerce boogaloo—that's what I first thought. Um, I, you know, this is uh, the beauty of Amazon's model is that they can do this, right? I mean, we, we've always said with Prime Day, it was just one of those things they can—they can flip like a switch. And we, we've talked about on the show many times before throughout the years, and I believe they—they they pointed this out a couple of shareholder letters ago. The importance that third-party sellers have. have uh, become, you know, in, in, in regard to Amazon's business. I mean, it, it, it accounts for so much of of the the overall sales now for, for the business. I mean, I certainly understand from the perspective of the third party seller, they'd be all in on this. And and I think for Amazon, you know, this has been a tough stretch. At least in regard to the e commerce operations, right? I mean, they're feeling the hangover from I think, you know, the big pandemic tailwinds uh, that they, they overbuilt, right? They've got far more capacity than they than they need at this point. So you're hearing talk about subleasing warehouse space, uh, and then that's going to be something that flows through the financials for the next several quarters. I mean, this most, this most recent quarter, they reported seven percent top line growth, which I mean, this is a company that just consistently records 30 percent revenue growth, and and um, it, it, I mean, it's not terribly surprising to see uh, those headwinds. Uh, but but really, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to it, and, and this feels like uh, a sensible a sensible thing to do, particularly now that that I mean the holiday season just around the corner, and we know that uh, there's there's plenty of data out there that that uh, says that consumers are going to be very more thoughtful about how they spend uh, this holiday season uh, in, compared compared to many many uh, recent ones. Do you think
0: part of the rationale for this? Uh, from Amazon's standpoint, is this enables them to select specific categories of merchandise uh, to really feature that upfront to deal with inventory problems. I'm just thinking about you know back over the summer where uh, Target was talking about, and Target wasn't the only one having inventory problems, but they were very specific about the categories that they had uh, essentially uh, mishandled and i'm wondering if that's part of the potential upside here for amazon is hey we can we can put stuff on fire sale and yeah. get it out of the way so that we have a better handle of our inventory for the home stretch of the holidays
1: yeah i think i think that's absolutely right i think that you should expect to see that as investors and as consumers i mean i you know i, I prime day to me is I don't get all that worked up over it as a consumer. It, it does seem to be kind of confusing at times really, um, understanding exactly what you can get and, and how much of a deal it, it is. Um, now with that said, I mean, they clearly get a lot of data um, from from you know consumers, Spending in 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 all those prime members, and so I think this gives them the opportunity absolutely to liquidate uh, inventory that just is becoming more and more obsolete. But also, I mean, these are these are tremendous brand builders. I think for the business, I mean, you know, we look we look at Amazon today. I mean, this is not the same company it was ten years ago, right? I mean, this is we always refer to it as the e-commerce giant, but I mean, this business is so much more now, right? I mean, e-commerce is just one part of the operation. Uh, I mean, you got advertising, you've got entertainment, you've got obviously Amazon Web Services, which, I mean, listen, Amazon Web Services brought in 5.7 billion dollars in operating income on its own last quarter alone. Um, so I, I think that they they have a lot of different levers they can pull, and and this is going to be one where they can kind of help clean up a little bit of, of the mess that they've been dealing with over the last several quarters. Uh, maybe put them in a little bit of a better spot to get the in 2023 off, off on a better foot. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we fully should expect to see that.
0: Last thing on Amazon before we move on. Does this also raise the bar for expectations in terms of Wall Street analysts? If you're looking at Amazon as a business, as challenged as they are, as all retailers are, you look at this and say, okay, I, I'm, I'm expecting more out of you uh, in the last three months of 2022, possibly.
1: I mean, I guess it's it. That's difficult to say. I mean, they they are guiding for sales growth of of a, in, a, in a range of 13 to 17 percent for this for this third quarter, the current quarter that we're in now, and then you would you would expect to see a nice a nice boost from holiday season spending as well. I, it, it's really difficult to say how much this would ramp up those expectations. It feels like. No matter what company you are right now, expectations just are not really <laughs> great um i mean shares of amazon along with companies like microsoft uh google and i mean even even apple i mean they, they're all having very very tough years but amazon amazon a bit tougher than most um i, I it, it's hard to say whether this really ramps up those expectations um it, it it would it would make sense it would make sense following
0: up on last friday's show um one of the things we had talked about uh, with Maria Gallagher was Apple becoming the sponsor of next year's Super Bowl halftime show, and uh, now we know what that show is going to feature because in the interim, uh, it was announced that Rihanna is going to be headlining the show. Um, you know, good for Apple. Uh, That's, I kinda, yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those situations I always think of when... Uh, Years ago when Alphabet was looking for a new CFO and we were talking on the show, it's like who are they gonna get? Probably whoever they want because they're <laughs> yeah. Alphabet and that was it was like I wonder who's it's like, um, Z's producing, Apple is the sponsor. I kinda of feel like they're gonna get whoever
1: they want. Yeah, it does. It does feel like they landed. I, I think that'll be a good call. I mean, I personally don't really have any interest in the halftime show, no matter who's playing. It's just not uh, just not my bag. But I, I also get it, and, and I mean, it's. Um, I, I think that she'll appeal to a very broad audience, which is great for everybody involved. And, and I mean, this will be a tremendous brand builder, as if they need it. Right? I mean, Apple could put a rock in a box and just sell it, and three million people would buy it you know, without even thinking twice. Um, But yeah, this will be something that just continues to to cement their status, I think, is really a modern-day entertainment company. I think that's what we're seeing with a lot of these tech companies. They're developing into more, right? I was just saying with Amazon, uh, I mean, Amazon is is another one. These are are your modern-day entertainment companies, they're really building that out. And um, whether it's music or TV or movies, uh, they're going to have their say-so there. And, And the nice thing about these businesses, is that you know entertainment requires a lot of capital, right? It, it's not cheap, um, but these companies can drop tens of millions of dollars on it and, and you just never even notice it, right? And, and, and that puts them in just a tremendous competitive position for sure. Some people are no doubt looking
0: forward to Prime day two, October 11th and 12th, but there's another event in October that we are looking forward to even more. Shout out to longtime listener Fred Gaddis of St. Charles, Missouri, because we got our invitation to the 16th annual Fred Toberfest Beer Festival on October
1: 7th. Hey now. Featuring over 50 types of beer. I love it. Oh. This guy's it's, it's, it's right up my alley, Fred. And I, I wish I could be there, um, but I'm going to hoist a Schlafly in your honor. I promise. Jason Moser, always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you.
0: So what does the competitive landscape look like for Airbnb? Ricky Mulvey hosts a bull versus bear debate over the short term rental marketplace.
2: Welcome to bear versus bull. We find a company, get some analysts, then flip a coin to see which side they'll take. Today, the company is Airbnb, the online marketplace for short-term rentals that you probably know as a verb. On the bull side, we have Jamie Luco. Jamie, good to see you. Good to see you too, Ricky. And on the bear side, we have Brian Stoffel. Brian, thanks for taking the side.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. And
2: this is interesting. Both of you have positions in Airbnb, which means you follow the company closely. And I can't wait to hear the cases. Starting with the bull side, Jamie Luco,
4: time is yours. So, I I think I got pretty lucky on this coin flip because there's a lot to like about Airbnb. Uh, As Ricky mentioned, we both own it, uh, and for good reason. Um, So, first, I want to talk about how popular Airbnb is. Even during the second quarter, when consumers were becoming increasingly worried about a recession and rising inflation, just an uncertain economy, Airbnb saw massive activity on its platform. It reached a record number of nights and experiences booked, uh, hitting almost $104 in the quarter. Um, And this helped revenue soar. 58% year-over-year. Now, obviously, the company did benefit a little bit from um, the the pent-up travel demand from COVID. Um, That said, it was growing faster than some of its uh, traditional hospitality rivals. Hilton Worldwide, for example, only posted 54% growth in Q2. So, uh, It's taking market share and there's reason to believe that Airbnb will continue to grow faster um, than traditional hospitality players over the long haul. The main reason is the company's focus on innovation. Uh, Innovation is ingrained into Airbnb. Airbnb's culture, and I think that's a, a major highlight um, because um, they're it, it just making the uh, consumer experience better for uh for those uh customers just makes uh customers want to come back and use it more so um, in the summer airbnb released uh, categories which helps customers find unique homes easier that's one of airbnb's primary selling points it also released air cover for guests which is uh top to bottom coverage for a guest to ensure that they have a great experience uh on on the platform or they get their money back now this was on top of their uh, already announced air cover for hosts which provides uh, damage and liability insurance for hosts in case their, their stays get um, damaged or or trashed by an unruly guest. So, this innovation um, really isn't expected to stop uh, anytime soon. They're planning on releasing um, another release with uh, multiple uh, innovations in the winter, and now this is just in line with the company's traditional semi-annual um, feature release, which is just full of innovation. And these innovations have, have paid off, and it's made Airbnb one of the best hospitality companies in terms of customer satisfaction. Um, Airbnb has a net promoter score of 31, which is far higher than some of its rivals. Verbo, for example, has a score of negative 83, Booking Holdings has a score of 18, and Marriott has a score of just 28. So um, It is certainly pleasing customers uh, much more than any of its rivals. Now, Airbnb is great from a product perspective, but it's also amazing from a financial perspective. Not only is the company growing fast, but its balance sheet is uh, nearly flawless. It has over $8.3 billion in cash and securities with just about $2 billion in long-term debt at the end of Q2. And uh I- importantly, this is probably the thing that blows me away about Airbnb: it is gushing cash over the trailing 12 months. The company generated $2.9 billion in free cash flow, and that's representing a margin of about 40% over the trailing 12 months. Now, what's it going to do with that cash? Personally, the best thing, in my opinion, is uh, continuing to innovate, create those products to make uh, you know its its platform stand out compared to competitors like Verpo or other tris- traditional hospitality. So one one big concern that Brian might touch on is this regulatory risk. And while I can't speak for every single local government in the world, I can speak about the effects regulation would have on my own um, uh, on my own government in Maine. Um, so I, I live in a very touristy environment, which uh, gets a lot of money. Uh, both local businesses, they get a lot of activity. And governments get a lot of taxes from the tourists that come to my town um, every summer. Now, a lot of this is from vacationers who are using Airbnb. So, while uh, regulating Airbnbs and trying to reduce the activity for, uh, you know, in some of these uh, small. Uh, tourist hotspots that might be uh, beneficial for the residents living there, but it also would take away significantly from the economy. Uh, at least in my local town, again, I can't speak for every country or uh, every, every uh, city or, or municipality in the world or or the United States, but I can say that um, uh, these regulations have struggled in in my hometown uh, primarily because of the benefits that Airbnb actually brings um, to to our town. So, if I could leave you guys with just one takeaway about Airbnb, it's this. Airbnb has an unrivaled focus on customer satisfaction and improving that every single day. As a result, Airbnb continues to innovate and differentiate itself. And with immense and growing cash generation, uh, the success Airbnb has seen will likely continue, potentially making shareholders uh, pretty happy over the long term.
2: Next time, we will ask you to speak on behalf of every municipality in the United States. Jamie Luco, thank you for the bull side. Next up, we have the bear case. Brian Stoffel, five minutes is
3: yours. All right. Now, like we said, I am a shareholder of this company, but I believe in iron manning the other side's argument, not straw manning. So that's what I'm going to try and do here. Now, the key in Jamie's argument is the network effect, which is the more hosts that are attracted to the platform, the more places there are to rent. And if there's more places to rent, that will attract more travelers. And if there's more travelers and I have a place that I can rent out, I'm going to go to Airbnb because they have the most potential customers. It is a virtuous cycle. And what I wanna say is is that that network effect could be under assault from two different sources and that's what I wanna talk about. Now the first source I wanna talk about is competition. You heard Jamie say that VRBO has a net promoter score of something like negative 83, that sounds terrible, but it's really important to understand the difference between VRBO and Airbnb. And that is that Airbnb is squarely focused on the customer experience. Sounds great, right? Well, it has to come at the expense of something. And what that something is, is usually the host experience. VRBO takes the opposite side of that coin, and they are focused on making it the best experience possible for hosts. As we can see, in general, that has meant that more business goes to Airbnb than it does to VRBO. That's not surprising. But it is perhaps what we're starting to see a case of VRBO, which is owned by Expedia, taking the uber long game while Airbnb is taking the more grab-the-profits-now short game. And if enough of those hosts decide to migrate over time because VRBO has more friendly policies than Airbnb does, and as we see more and more of these parties, more and more of these instances where places are being trashed or there are negative interactions between uh, the host and the hostee, then I wouldn't be surprised to see some start defecting to VRBO. The problem is, is once that network effect stops being a virtuous cycle, it starts being a vicious cycle and that can make the dominoes fall quickly. So that is the first threat to that network effect moat. The other threat I wanna talk about is what Jamie mentioned, and that is the codes. Now. Airbnb benefits immensely from the fact that municipalities are decentralized. A decision in my small village doesn't affect where Jamie lives that much. However, if a large city decides to adopt a framework that is then used by other cities can be copied, a blueprint that others can use, I wouldn't be surprised to see that make a meaningful dent in Airbnb's business either. And one lurking variable we haven't talked about is that even though home prices are finally falling, we still have an immense housing shortage in the United States. One of the leading ways to deal with this, and I'm a big proponent of this, is changing our outdated codes. If we change our outdated codes, smaller spaces need to be available for living, but nobody wants those smaller spaces to be taken up by by tourists. They want it to be used for people living and working in the community. Again, if a large city comes up with a blueprint that addresses this housing shortage, it could very easily be adopted by other municipalities. So my large takeaway is that this network effect, while it has definitely been working well for Airbnb, could turn on a dime if VRBO gains traction or if a large municipality addressing the housing crisis adopts codes that could meaningfully eat into Airbnb's legal standing. Ryan Stoffel, thank you for the bare side. Uh, You can
2: go on Twitter at MotleyFullMoney. We'll have a poll up where you can vote on who made the better argument because today's lucky winner will receive a
3: four-night stay at a desert cabin near Reno, Nevada. This shared vacation property is just 50 miles away from the biggest little city in the world. Take a photo at the Reno Arch or a day trip to Lake Tahoe. Just remember to invite the home's other occupant and respect our 10 p.m. curfew. Past guests have loved the natural beauty surrounding the cabin. Just keep the noise down, and enjoy the windswept majesty of the Mojave Desert. You'll just love this neat and tidy home. Please keep it that way. Upon checkout, unload the dishwasher, take out the trash, and pick up your roommate's prescription. This Reno, Nevada getaway could be yours if you win bear versus bull. While this property booking is free, the prize winner will be responsible for the following costs, a $50 service fee, local and state taxes of $75, and a $200 cleaning fee.
0: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill, thanks for listening,